That's all the announcements we have in the life of the church. Let's go ahead and open up to the word uh, this morning. We're going to be looking at 1 Peter chapter 2. Uh, the text is in your bulletin as well as uh, if you can open up your Bible. If you have a physical one, you can open it up there. You know, we're continuing in our series uh, talking about um, living as exiles, right? That we're, today we're looking at 1 Peter, and it is written by the Apostle Peter. Um, and I, I want you to hear this up front, that it's primarily written to a Gentile audience. Okay, so not a Jewish audience, a Gentile audience that wouldn't have had the Torah and the law and uh, the history with the people of God. Okay, so this letter, it shows uh, themes of alienation, of suffering, of persecution, and we're going to see that come throughout our time together in First Peter. And this series really is looking at what it means for us to live as believers in exile not at home with Christ, that you and me are one with him already, but not yet. Chuck talked about this last week, that we're not yet with Christ, that we're called to be faithful witnesses um, to Jesus as exiles here. And you know, uh, this book, I, I bought like 20 or 30 copies, I forgot, uh, last uh, in the fall. Remember this? And I told you guys all to get it, and they're all gone except for this one copy. So I think most of you have this book. A lot of the structure of this series is coming from this, past, from this book. So we're taking the passages out of this book and just exegeting them and really applying them to us. So this would be a good idea, along with your Bible reading plan, if you could pick this up. If you don't have it already, it's called Evangelism as Exiles. I'll put this last copy over there, and you can just drop five bucks in the, bu- the bucket if you want it. Um, but I would encourage you to read this. It's really helplful for our time. And what I'm trying to do is take these, applica- these principles that are here in the text that they talk about in the book and apply them to El Paso, to apply them to Christ the King here. So today we're looking at 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 through 10. You'll notice if you have your bulletin in front of you, I actually put three more passages in the uh, bulletin as well. Now, it may seem overwhelming. Uh, There's one from Exodus 19, one from Isaiah 43, and then Hosea chapter 2. And the reason is that we're going to be looking at who the people of God are. And when Peter uses language about who the people of God are, he's alluding strongly to the Old Testament over and over, using at times the same exact language that the prophets used. Okay, so we have to look at that text because Peter is... Um, really referring to those texts, so I'm going to do the same thing. So for now, let's look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 through 10. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Father, what a beautiful truth that we just read in your word to us. That you have called us your people. And we pray as your people uh, that your spirit would be here uh, revealing things to our minds and our hearts that um, get blinded at times by our own um, sin, by our own distraction in life. And Father, we pray that you would be here uh, present and moving in this time. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, as we begin, I want you to think about uh, major transitions you have gone through in life. Maybe we can think back uh, to early times in life. I want you to think back transitioning from middle school to high school. 
What was that time like for you? I want you to think about that. I remember my own time. I transferred out of uh, one district to go to Mayfield and Las Cruces because they had the best band program in the state. So I left all my friends to go, and I walked into a new high school, new walls, new teachers, new people, and I was just wanting to belong. I was just wanting to fit in, right? Like if you think about transitions into high school, that's generally what it's like, right? We want to belong. Maybe you can think about uh, transitions like Mike and Katie are about to go through, right? About a place where you, a new workplace or a new place where you live. You're surrounded by new people. You're trying to make yourself known. You're trying to understand the routines of the people around you. All the while, you're just trying to fit in just enough to where you belong. Maybe uh, transitioning into a new stage of life. Family circumstances have changed me, addition of children, something like that. You're entering into a new arena of life, and there's new people to know, new expectations, a new normal, and it takes us out of our routine, right? We want to be known. We want to be loved. If I'm honest with you, the reason I'm bringing this up because the transitions have always been hard for me, and I, I came to the root of it years ago, that I just want to belong where I am. I want to belong with the people that are around me. And this desire for us, for all of us to belong, is natural. It's normal. It's good. It's in our DNA because ultimately we desire to be known and loved and belong to God. And the text today tells us that prior to God intervening in our lives, we did not belong to Him. The passage tells us we walked in darkness. You were not a people. You had not received mercy. So today in our text, the wonderful news is that God has called out a people to belong to him. And that's who the church is. That he has called us to belong to the creator of the universe. So the theme today, you'll see this in your uh, bulletin, is Christ has called out his people to proclaim his excellencies. Christ has called out his people to proclaim his Excellency. So we're going to be looking at two things. First, God's people. You'll see this in your bulletin. There's five descriptors that we're going to walk through one after the other. This is a little bit different from what we normally do, but we're going to look at these descriptors in order, one after the other, of God's people. That's the first thing. In the second league, we're going to be looking at uh, God's purposes. Before we really get into the text, I want you to know this, that last week and this week both are really... um, focusing on the indicatives and truths about who God's people are, okay? So we're not going to spend all that much time about what we're called to do, because in the coming weeks, the the two weeks after this, we're going to look primarily at what does it look like for us to live day to day as an exile in El Paso, okay? So, but we first, remember, if you think about a while back, uh, uh, just a few weeks ago, I told you that in, in seminary, over and over again, they hit us with the this on the head, that the indicative always comes before the imperative. The truth always comes before the call to action. So this is what Peter does in his letter. We're walking kind of beginning to end. So we see that throughout the letter, that he's rooting the people in who they are first, and then he calls them to um, action. Okay, so today we're going to be looking first at the five descriptors that define the people of God in the passage. So in 1 Peter um, chapter 2, we're actually in the kind of the tail end of an argument. He's, there's a section of verses 4 through 10. Okay, at the beginning of verses 4 through 10, what he's doing is he's saying, you are God's people that are taken out, that you are set apart, and your foundation is Jesus. The foundation of God calling his people out is his son. 
So that's the very beginning part. Then he transitions to say, but there are some who don't believe. There are some who don't follow God. There are some who don't believe in Jesus. And then in our text today, we get to see a but, right? You have to know, like when we come to a passage that starts with but, you have to read before it, like you have to, because he's comparing something. So he starts with talking about God's people, then he goes to people who are not believers. And now in our passage, verse 9, he says, but you, but you. So that's what we're going to be looking at today. We're going to be looking at what is he saying about people who do believe. So in verse 9, it says this. Let's look at the text again. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. So the first in these four, he just goes right one after the other, right? The first one is you are a chosen race. So this word chosen, if you remember uh, last week, Chuck talked a lot about election. This is the same exact Greek word that he talked about at the beginning of, in the beginning of chapter 1. So he said in chapter 1, you are elect exiles. Now he is saying you are a chosen race. It could also be rendered you are a elected race. Okay, so we're not going to talk about election again because we talked about it last week, but I do want to talk about what's hanging on to election in this one is the word race. It's important that he adds it here, that, that this word in the Greek could be translated race or people, either one of those. And this is really alluding back to Isaiah chapter 43. So if you have your bulletin, let's open it together and look at Isaiah 43. Because in verses 20 through 21 in, in uh, Isaiah 43, he says, you are my chosen people, the people whom I formed for myself. So in the Old Testament and the New Testament, this, form, this uh, word race uh, in the original language really denoted people that are descending from the common, a common lineage. Okay, so you can, if you know your Old Testament, you know that when, he's ta- when Isaiah is talking here, he's talking about people that descended from who? Abraham, right? This is the people of God, the Jewish nation. That's who he's referring to in the Old Testament. God was promising his people in Isaiah redemption to take them out of slavery. And Peter, for us today, he's using that same language for the people of God, that that before God was promising his people to redeem them from slavery, but here Peter is saying those who are in Christ, Jew, Gentile, male, female, rich, poor, whoever you are, if you are in Jesus, he's promising to redeem you, that you are God's chosen race. And it's not a physical slavery, right, that he's uh, redeeming us from. It's a spiritual slavery of sin and death. One theologian says this, God has chosen a new race of people, Christians who have obtained membership in this new chosen race, not by a physical descent from Abraham, but by coming to Christ and believing in him. God has redeemed a people. I want you to remember, who is this book written to? It's written to Gentiles, like you and me. I mean, I don't know if there's any uh, people with Jewish heritage in their background. I am not Jew at all. I am a Gentile. And he's he's using the same language here that they use in the Old Testament, that you are God's people. That's who you are. So first, you are a chosen race. Secondly, we're going to look at points two, of the subpoints two and three of these descriptors uh, together, and I'll, I'll explain why. Uh, it says, you are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. Now, I've mentioned this before, but whenever the New Testament people would have been reading the Old Testament during their time, they were Greek speakers. So like you and me, 
we read our, our Bible in English because we speak English, they would have been reading their Old Testament in Greek. Okay, so that, that is a very, um, a translation that is used often in academia to, to compare how they would have understood how the Old Testament is written in the New Testament time. Okay, so in this, in this part right here, in the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, Exodus 19 is an exact match to 1 Peter 2. So he is saying the exact same thing. In our translation, uh, in Exodus 19, it says, You shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So Peter uses the same language earlier when I was talking about how he, he talked about in, in, that who, who you are is, is foundational in Jesus. In verses 4 through 5, he calls uh, the people of God a holy priesthood, and he calls them to offer spiritual sacrifices. If you think about the priesthood of the Old Testament, they were called to bring animal sacrifices. Okay, so he's using the same language for us as a royal priesthood, but we're not called to bring animal sacrifices. We're called to bring spiritual sacrifices. I'm going to read a quote to you. I think what's really helpful for me understanding this. It's a little bit lengthy, but it's really good at the same time. As, as priests... Believers offer not the animal sacrifices of the Old Covenant, but spiritual sacrifices, which the New Testament elsewhere identifies as the offering of our bodies to God for His service, the giving of gifts to enable the spread of the gospel, the singing of praise, and the doing of good and sharing our possessions. These varied examples encourage us to think that anything we do in the service of God can be thought of as a spiritual sacrifice sacrifice acceptable to god a continual sweet aroma that ascends to the throne and brings him delight so as new testament believers god is calling his people to live out their faith a holy nation a royal priesthood you see how it's connected to royal nation i mean to a holy nation right because the mark of the priest is holiness The mark of the New Testament priest is holiness. In our priestly work of serving God, we are marked by holiness. Bringing forth the light of the gospel to the nations. And it's no longer, you know, in the Old Testament, Israel is supposed to be the beacon of light to the world, right? People are going to come in to Israel. They are on a big trading route. And they're going to, people are going to be passing through and they're going to come through this nation and say, who is this God? that they're worshiping. But time and time again, we see the covenant was broken by Israel over and over again. So now, instead of everyone coming in, he has sent God's people out. The Jew and Gentile have gone out to be his witnesses in the world. So you are a royal priesthood, church. You are a holy nation. Okay, fourth, uh, we're looking at you are a people for God's special possession. Now, you can kind of, there's kind of allusions to both Exodus and uh, Isaiah in this, but he's primarily uh, referring to Exodus uh, 19. And in Exodus 19, it's there in your bulletin as well. He sell, says, you shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples. So both in Exodus 19 and Isaiah 43, God is promising his people the same thing. He's promising them redemption. In Exodus, redemption from slavery. In Isaiah, redemption from slavery. He's saying, you are mine. I will redeem you 
although the whole wor- world, everything is, is, is belongs to God, right? The ancient nation of Israel was to be God's special possession. For me, when I think of special possession, I think about my children, right? Like that Emma has a little lamb that we got for her. It's like a cincy lamb that we got for her before she was born. She loves it. She goes everywhere with it until she's seven and she still loves it. We're not a stuffed animal. Oftentimes we come to a text and say, what's my special possession? It's my lamb. It's Mammy. Her name is Mammy. Like she couldn't say lamb when she was a baby, right? So she said Mammy. Like we're not that. We're way more precious than any of the possessions we could ever. I, I, I just came to the text and I brought my own junk, right? I said possession, like I think of my stuff, the stuff I really like. And that's not what God is because I want you to think about the cost that it took for him to redeem us. That's how much it shows that we are worth way more than Lammy, right? That his redemption took his son's life. Our redemption took that. Okay, let's look lastly at uh, point five. It's from verse 10. So let's read this together. It's, you are a people who have received God's mercy. Verse 10 says this. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So there's three Old Testament texts in your bulletin. The third one is Hosea chapter 2. And this is where this passage is really alluding back to. Remember I told you over and over again, Israel had broke the covenant with God. He said, follow me, walk in my ways, follow your God. And they would for a little while. I had, a, I had a, in my prophets class and for ordination both, I had, to, I had to memorize the cycle of the prophets. And it was, God's people follow for a while, they turn away, they get judged, they come back. It's like over and over and over, over again in the prophets, over and over. And Hosea is saying that. You have broken God's covenant. You are not following him. So they're sent into exile. And the prophet Hosea is saying, one day there will be God's people again. One day you will receive mercy again. One day there will be a people who function as the light to the world that I've called you to be. So in verse 23 in Hosea chapter 2, it says this, And I will sow for her myself in the land, and I will have mercy on no mercy. And I will say to not my people, you are my people. And he shall say, you are my God. So when Peter uses this language from Hosea chapter 2, he's saying that is the church in Christ now. In Christ, you are God's people. You have received mercy. This, this language from the Old Testament prophecy is applied to those who are in Jesus. He made a people who are a holy nation, a royal priesthood. And in Christ, this is us. I was talking with Daniel the other day after, after the service, and uh, I'm going to steal this illustration from what you said because I think it was so good and it's really pertinent to hear. So I was... Uh, nine years old when the movie Toy Story came out. Um, so it was like right in the prime of my childhood, right? Like I went to Burger King and I was hoping for the Woody, like little Happy Meal toy, right? Like that was it. So I loved Toy Story growing up. And if you know, I'm sure you've all seen it or know at least the story about it. So Woody is this boy's favorite toy. And the, the, the movie is all about these talking toys, right? Like that's what it's about. A new toy is introduced 
Buzz Lightyear. Remember that? Okay, so he's competing for, for Woody to be uh, the, the, the favorite toy of Andy, right? Like, that's the whole premise of the movie, right? So they're going back and forth. Like, it's really a, a great movie. But when you think about Woody, when he goes throughout the time, he's not doing well, right? And he, he sits in kind of towards the end of the movie, and he sits, he's sitting in despair, like on the ground with his feet out like this. And do you know what he does when he is in despair? He looks at the bottom of his shoe, and what does it say? Who, who knows what it says? Andy! He's marked. If you don't know this, all of Andy's toys were marked on the bottom of their shoe by Andy himself. He looks at the bottom of his shoe and he remembers whose he is, who he belongs to. His very identity is in the name on the bottom of his shoe. So that's like us, right? That if you are in Christ, you belong to God. You have been marked by baptism. You, are, you belong to him. You have been marked as a holy nation, a royal priesthood, God's special possession. And these promises that we see made in the Old Testament are fulfilled in Jesus and seen in his church. And church, you corporately belong to him. You are his. He has called you out with a purpose. Before we get to like the last part of the text, which is really, we're going to just touch on a little bit of application today. Not a whole lot because we're going to look at it in the coming weeks, but... I want you to know that whenever Peter is talking here, we live in a society that's very individual-focused, okay? So we come to a text like this and say, I'm a chosen race, I'm a royal priest, I'm part of a holy nation, I'm a person that's uh, his own possession, right? We, We do this. When we come to a text like this, it's not completely wrong to do that because you are part of that. But when he's talking about that, he's talking about the corporate body of God, Okay? So instead of thinking, how can I do this or this or this, the better application for us is to say, how can we be a witness to El Paso? Okay? So it's a corporate thing rather than individual. It's, it's, a, it's a little, it's hard for us to do that because our, our whole mindset in life is to think about the individual first. That's just how, that's how our education is laid out. It's how, how everything, how we've been trained. So we have to come to a text like this and remember we're talking about the corporate people of God. Okay, so in the text, uh, we're going to look lastly at his purposes. Okay, we're going to look at verse uh, 9 one more time, and just we're going to read the whole text instead of just half of it. It says this, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Here we go, right here. What's the purpose? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. That is the church's purpose, to proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness. So we glorify God by praising him for his works in creation and redemption. Now this word, uh, this term excellencies, it's arete in Greek. It means this, if you look at the dictionary, it means this, moral excellence, virtue, or worthiness of approval and praise. So we're called to proclaim Proclaim this thing. Speak out loud the worthiness of our God. And it's, called, it, it's calling us not only just to say it with our mouths, but to say it with our lives at the same time. So the course of the, the next couple of weeks, we're going to flesh out more what this looks like. Like he, Peter does that for us. So we're going to exegete these texts, and we're going to look like what it looks like for us to 
be this light to the nation that we've been called to, to be. But I want to just leave you with a couple questions. What does it look like us for, to live in exile, marked by God as his own possession? How does that change us as the people here at Christ the King? What does it look like for us to glorify him and to show the world, to show El Paso his goodness? What does that look like for this, on the west side of El Paso, for us to, look to, to be the light that he has called us to be? I think in our text, it begins with us knowing who we are in him. That's why we're starting here. So all these attributes, these are the descriptors of the people of God, the corporate group who are in Christ. So God says to his people, church, hear this, you are his chosen race. You are his royal priesthood. You are his holy nation. You are his people for God's special possession. And you are the people who have received God's mercy. Let's pray. Father, we could never have come to you on our own, and we are thankful that you have called us despite the many ways that we run away from you. And God, I think uh, at times we take this for granted. We don't remember that you have called us out from such a deep hole that we could never have gotten us out of. Father, you are the author of our salvation. You are the one who has called us to yourself. And Father, we pray that that will stay at the forefront of our mind as we go out and live for you to be the light that you have called us to be in this city of El Paso. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the continual uh, reminder we get of who you are and who we are in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.